Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 14. Revelation 3, verse 14. That's the, that's the very last book in the Bible. If you can't find it, look at your neighbor and say, I can't find the last book in the Bible. Help me find it. They will. Chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, John is writing the testimony of Jesus down. Uh, Jesus had been dictating it to John. And so John was writing, I'm sure, as fast as he could. And he wrote this down. And uh, chapters uh, 3, 4, and 5 are the chapters where uh, Jesus is saying the church needs to wake up and listen to what I'm saying. And there's seven churches that are listed here. And interestingly enough, the, the last church is Laodicea. There are some theologians who think that there are dispensations or time frames and that uh, each time frame represents a church in sequence. So from the first church, the one in Sardis, all the way to Laodicea, that there are seven dispensations and that we're living in the last dispensation, the last time frame, which would be the church of Laodicea. And so Laodicea describes the church of today. Some theologians think that. I, I've studied that quite a bit. I'm not sure where I stand, but it's an interesting thought. But Laodicea does uh, <clears throat> tend to resonate, I think, with some of the churches today. Laodicea was actually uh, named after an emperor who founded the city back in 260 B.C. He named it after his wife, Laodicea, which is where we get Laodicea from. That didn't cost you anything. I just thought you might want to know that. <laughs> 260 B.C. Anybody around in 260 B.C.? Ten technically, all of you were around in 260 B.C., right? Technically. Because we all came from Adam, so we've all come through the timeline, right? I'll let you think about that for a minute. You haven't had enough coffee for that one. And he knew us before we were formed in, my mother, in our mother's womb. Absolutely, he did. Jeremiah 1.5. It says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write these words. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth, do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, <clears throat> pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I read an article this week about how rich the church is. Laodicea was rich. There was a, they were on a popular trade route. As a matter of fact, they sold black wool, which was very rare back in the day and very expensive. And they also had some sort of salve they produced from the chemicals and minerals that were at their disposal. They put on people's eyes and made their eyes better. We don't know exactly what that was, but, uh, but it was very expensive. The wool was very expensive, so they had acquired great wealth. And the church in Laodicea had been a recipient of that. 
and acquired great wealth. I read this week about Trinity, Trinity Church in New York. Maybe you read the same article that I do. Trinity Church in New York, you can look this up, has a portfolio. He's got a great voice. That's Alexander Scurby is who that is. I recognize that voice. We don't know how to turn the phone off. Is there, is there a teenager in the house? Hey, good job. That's fine. That's fine. Technology. I wouldn't know what to do with it either. He's got a great voice, though. I can hear better than I can see, so I use that a lot. I understand. So, Trinity Church in New York uh, this week uh, was made the headlines in New York in the Wall Street Journal. They have a portfolio of $6 billion. That's not an M. That's a B, right, as in Bravo. Six billion dollars. Six billion dollars. They're going to renovate their church and add some space and renovate it to the tune of 110 million dollars. Now, out of the six billion dollars in their portfolio, they give 10 million away every year to charitable causes. <laughs> 10, 10 million dollars. Now, they own buildings and land in New York, and they rent it out, and they lease it, and that's how they have acquired this great land. And so, what I was Thinking about this message this morning, I was thinking about Trinity Church that owns $6 billion and we are, we're wealthy. And by all stretch of the imagination, they are wealthy. Maybe one of the wealthiest churches in America. Um, and so Laodicea was bragging on their wealth. And Jesus said, he just cut straight through it. He said, I don't care about that. On one hand, it's mine anyway. <laughs> Who do you think you are? It's mine anyway. And secondly, all that you have is worthless. Yeah. It's worthless. Right? It's wood, hay, and stubble. <clears throat> you can have all the money in the world, and it's absolutely worthless. It's wood, hay, and stubble. And so he cuts straight through that. And he, he goes to him and says, you're lukewarm. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say that you're in school, and you're a senior in school, senior in high school, and you're going to be graduating and you go to your counselor, you know, to make sure you've got all of your classwork done and all your grades are in order and your ACT and your CTC and your IRS and all these things are done, right? All these thousand tests you've got to take just to graduate or go to college. And you walk into your counselor and you say, I need to know if I'm okay. Six weeks to graduation. I need to know if everything's lined up. And she goes, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. What if she's lukewarm about your need? To know if you're going to graduate. How would you feel if she was lukewarm? Or he was lukewarm, your counselor. What? How would you feel? You'd feel frustrated. You'd feel pressure. Help me out here. Help me out here. I don't know. I'm doing my nails. You know, I'm watching the football game. I'll get back with you. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. How would you feel about that? What if you're a banker? You went to your banker and you said, I've got some checks i got to write. I need to make sure i got the money in the account and... And your banker brings up the screen and says, eh, I wouldn't worry about it. Just, just do what you want to do. Just lukewarm about your banking. How would you feel about that? Right. <laughs> get a new bank. Yeah, time to get a new bank. What if you're a doctor? <laughs> what if you're in the doctor's office and you're sitting on the little thing there, you know, and, and the doctor comes in and, well, what have I got, doctor? <sighs> I don't know. I just don't know. What, whatever. What do you want it to be? 
What, what, what diagnosis would you like? <clears throat> I don't worry about things like that. How would you feel if your doctor was lukewarm about your diagnosis? You know, you walk in, you got a third arm going out, you know, and he's like, ah, whatever, right? They got a pill for that. How would you feel if your doctor were lukewarm about your condition? How would you feel if your wife or your husband were lukewarm about your marriage? Like it didn't matter. You're worthless. A lot of that's taking place. A lot of divorce, unfortunately. What, what, if, what if your husband or your wife were lukewarm about your marriage? How would you feel? And so Jesus brings us down to the point here. He said, glad to see you. That's great. I'm glad, glad you got a lot of money. You got a nice building there. and you know, You're doing some great things, and that's, that's good. But that's, that's not what I'm after. God's not after a church where every seat is filled, although that would look cool and would feel nice for us, right? Although it's great bragging numbers when you go to the convention and you walk up, you go to the convention, you walk up, and all preachers say was, how many did you have in your church Sunday? How many got on roll? How much money did you take in? What you make? You know, it's just numbers, right? You, you've seen it, right? Not all preachers, but I've been there and done that. Had those conversations. Jesus said, that, that's not it either. That's not it either. I'm not looking for how many people are in the building. What I'm looking for is how many people have me in their, in their kitchen. And that's what he gets to. Let's look what he says. He says, that those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, how many of you as teenagers ever had that short of a talk when you got in trouble? Daniel, did you ever have that short of a talk with your dad when you got in trouble? No. Right. So I, I just see, I see Pop sitting now with Daniel saying, now Daniel, you know I love you, so I'm going to rebuke and discipline you, so be earnest and repent. And then walk off. My mama always said more words than that. <laughs> My daddy didn't have to say any words, he had a belt. Right? It, was short. it was short. He took the belt off, he grabbed him by the arm, and there was no getting away from that belt. Right? He explained it to me. But Jesus simply says, those whom I love, I, I rebuke. What does that mean? He says, Jim, you're wrong. And I discipline, Jim, this is what I need you to do. I, I need you to walk down this path, not that path. Jim, are you listening? Jim, are you listening? Be earnest, that is be quick, and repent. What does repent mean? Does repent mean laying on the ground, screaming and crying and hollering out to God? Well, it might. But the word actually means change the way you're thinking. Change the you got you got stinking thinking. Right? You need to change the way you think. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I get stuck in stinking thinking, and I have to repent. And says so that's not the way Christ would think about this, and I have to change my mind. Jesus is saying, I need you to be earnest and repent. Think about what you just said about what your your church is, but think about what I'm trying to get to. I'm not trying to get to what church is i'm trying to get to you so look what he says he says repent he says here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and will and will eat with him and will be with him and he with me so 
The key to opening the door is repentance. But let's talk about Jesus first. When I, when I see this story, and you've all seen the painting, you've all seen the picture, it's, maybe it's in the front of your Bible, where Jesus is standing knocking on the door, right? And you've seen it. And I forget when it was painted, I forget the year it was, but it's the, the most popular one. Anyway, he's knocking on the door. Of course, there's a door handle's not on the outside. Remember that? The door handle's on the what? It's on the inside. It's waiting on you, Jesus standing there. So when I think about Jesus standing at the door, he's standing at the door and he's saying, I want to come in. I want to come in. And I see several things about Jesus. First, uh, Jesus is proactive. Proactive. What does that mean? He takes action even before the actions need to be taken. We see Jesus doing that with the story of the, the hundred sheep and the one goes missing. And Jesus leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one, right? He's proactive. He's going to go find the sheep and rescue the sheep and bring it back. And matter of fact, when he comes back with it, he has it on his shoulders carrying it because the sheep is exhausted and tired. Jesus carries the burden of the sheep and the burden is the sheep himself that he can't, the sheep no longer can carry himself. So Jesus says, I can carry yourself. And he carries him and he rejoices when he gets back and says, I found the sheep. And they have a party about it. Jesus is very proactive. Today, right now, in this very moment, very second, Jesus is being proactive in your life and in the life of 7 billion people around the world. He's seeking. He's seeking. He's seeking. He's being proactive. You know, God's at work in everybody's life all the time, all around the world, trying to convince them that he loves them. And sometimes he uses us, right? To convey that message. Secondly, I find Jesus is, is patient. He's patient. I love that about Jesus. Right? He stands there and he's just knocking. He's just knocking. He's just standing there knocking. And he stops for a few minutes and then he knocks some more. And he stops for a few minutes and knocks some more. Have you ever heard the knock of Jesus in your life? Yeah, we all have. Let's be honest. We've all heard that knock. How many of us have ignored that knock? Right? right. So you got the door, right? And you got the little peephole in it. Right? And so you walk up, somebody's knocking at your door. You walk up, you look out, and it's a salesperson. Or Jehovah's Witness. Or Mormon. Rarely a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian. Right? But there's somebody at the door, and you don't want to open the, the door. It's the neighbor next door selling $20 thing because he's going out for baseball. Or it's the Girl Scout selling cookies. Now that's the door you open. <laughs> Get some of those Samoas, I'm telling you, those mint cookies. Oh, my word. <coughs> Jesus standing knocking. Sometimes we look at the people and go, it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I can't open that door. It's Jesus out there. Now, why don't we want to let Jesus in? Oh, we're not ready to deal with what we're not dealing with. Well spoken, Pastor. You want to add to that? I've <laughs> been there and done that. You see, we've got dishes stacked in the sink. Laundry on the floor in the washroom. In piles. The bed's not made. And there's probably a quarter inch of dust on everything. Yeah, our house is not in order. 
And we don't want Jesus to come in and look and see what our house looks like on the inside. We want to clean it up first. But Jesus knows. But Jesus already knows, Kayla. That's right. He already knows. He already knows. And here's, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. One of the many thousand things I love about Jesus is he will come into your house and instead of having that conversation with you, he'll say, let me help you with the dishes. I'll wash you dry. He said, let me help you with the laundry. I think you got some colors mixed in with the whites over here. Let's, let's separate that out. Let me help you with that. I'll help you make up the bed. You get on that side, I'll get on this side. We can, we'll do it together. Hey, where, where's, where's, your, where's your dust rag? That's what Jesus does. He comes in. And while he's washing the dishes, and while he's doing the laundry, and, and while he's dusting the house, he's, he's chatting with us. My third grandchild, grandson, third grandchild is a, is a boy, Ezra. And, and Ezra is, is, learning, is learning manners at home, right? He's just turned four. And sometimes Ezra doesn't obey the command he's given from his mom. as a typical three or four-year-old. And sometimes Ezra acts out like a three-year-old would do and pitches a fit, right? And when he pitches a fit because he didn't get his way, his mother puts him in timeout, which means go to your room. Right? And so she sends him to his room and she tells him, now when you're ready, we'll have a conversation and you can come out. Because we're going to talk about it. I was over the other day and he's learned this pattern. And he got sideways with one of the other grand, one of the grandkids, one of his siblings, about something that he wanted that they had. And he starts pitching the fit and carrying on. And Angela says, it's time to go to your room. Go to timeout. He says, but I'm ready for a conversation now. <laughs> he, he, was, he was ready. <laughs> Didn't want to go to the room. Papa was in the house. Didn't want to leave Papa. Sometimes we're just not ready for that conversation. But Jesus is patient. He continues to knock on the door. The third thing I see about Jesus here is Jesus is persuading. He's persuading. He's persuading us. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, that it's God's love that persuades us, that convinces us, that leads us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Jesus, Jesus loves to persuade us to do the right thing. Like I said he doesn't use a two-by-four. Remember Romans 2-4 says it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. Well, that's Jesus. He's leaving us with his kindness. Now, Jesus is God, completely fully God. All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. It says in Colossians, everything about God is Jesus. And Jesus is everything about God because Jesus is God. He could easily just snap his fingers and we would disappear. He could, he could send us to oblivion, to something that's not heaven or hell. He could destroy every atom or molecule down to the smallest quark or luon or gluon. 
You can completely eliminate it from existence. But yet the God of the universe comes in and continues to try to persuade us to follow the right path because that's just who he is. That's just who he is. Other thing I like about Jesus is he's persistent. Have you noticed this about our Father in Heaven? He is persistent. Why is he so persistent? Why is he so persistent? Have you ever been around a three-year-old who's learned the word mom? Or a two-year-old who's learned the word mom? Do you know how many times a child can say mom in 23 seconds? 46 times. This you will learn. Yes. Mom, 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 mom. And what's amazing to me is most mothers that I've ever encountered know how to filter that out. Oh, my God. I just want to say, will you please answer the child? I'm sitting over here as a dad and the whatever. Please answer the child. Mom, 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 mom. Please answer the child. Mom's just over here doing her thing, cooking, cleaning, washing the dishes, all that at the same time. Mom's going to do that. Mom's going to do 17 things at one time. Dad can do one thing at a time. Right? <coughs> Amen or oh me? Amen. Persistence. Jesus is persistent in our life. I'm so glad he is. Thank you, Jesus. He's just persistent. He's so persistent. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Right. All should repent and follow him. He's not, he's not willing that anybody should perish. He says, he says, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? No. No. And I guess the other thing I like about Jesus in this passage is he's so polite. He is so polite. I have seen the street preachers, maybe you have too, screaming at the top of their lungs, and how everybody's going to hell, and, and unless they repent. And, and, but I don't see Jesus doing that. I see Jesus being very polite. He knows my first name. And he calls me by my name. It's a great song about that. He knows my name. Dennis Jernigan, I think, sang that years ago. He knows my name. He does. He knows not only the name that you're called down here. He knows the name your parents gave you, but he knows the name that he's given you. Uh, and he probably uses that name on us too. But he's so polite. He knows my name. And he comes in and, and he says, hey, you got anything to eat? I can see Jesus in modern times walking into my house, walking over the refrigerator, opening the door and putting his arm on top. What are we going to have? What are we going to have? And if there's nothing in there that appeals to him, he'll just pop up some manna and quail. Right? Right? Which is, which is Chick-fil-A sandwiches and Krispy Kreme donuts. Quail. Man. I'm reading the, the new Jim version. See right there? Manna and quail is Chick-fil-A sandwiches and Krispy Kreme donuts. Manna and quail. It's straight from heaven. I'm convinced it is. I mean, who can argue with me, right? Come on. Come on. 
I will come in and eat with he, with him, and he will eat with me. When I was in college, one of the courses I took was a prison chaplaincy internship. And so every Wednesday, I would go up to Georgia State Diagnostic Prison and spend a day in prison uh, with the inmates. We, we ate the same food they ate. We talked to them. And our job as chaplain interns was to go from cell to cell or to pick an inmate and go have a conversation with them. And then we would have to write up a verbatim what they said, what we said. We would give it to the, the chaplain of the prison who would, who would go over it and tell us what we did right and what we did wrong. Mostly what we did wrong. And uh, he, he would rebuke us and correct us. Don't do that again. And so we were told, never give anything to a prisoner. We walk through that gate. They, they take everything away from you. And you don't give anything to a prisoner. You don't take anything from a prisoner. Ever. I mean, they, they nailed us with that. And a few other things. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so I was visiting with Jerry on the other side of the bars. And uh, Jerry and I had got to know each other over the weeks that we were doing this. And it was the third or fourth week. I don't remember which, but it was third or fourth week into it. Jerry reached over on his little shelf and offered me a Snickers bar. He said, would you like a Snickers bar? I said, no, I just had lunch. And I really wanted the Snickers bar, but I was really full. I really didn't need a Snickers bar. And I said, no, thank you. And so uh, he said, okay, put it back on the shelf. And, and I went on about my business, so I wrote that up in the verbatim. And that chaplain, he crawled all over me. I mean, he opened a new door. You know what I'm saying? He did. Over that point, he said, that man invited you into his house, and you turned him down. And I tried to play the, oh, I didn't know it was take something, blah, blah. He said, it's irrelevant. That man invited you into his home. A meal. He said, you know how long it takes him to earn money to buy that Snickers bar to give to you? I'd never thought about that. I had access to Jerry's file. And after we got to know him, we could go look at their file and look at what he had done. And if I'd read the file, I would have never talked to Jerry. Ever. Ever. And I won't tell you why. It's not important. But that man invited me into his home to eat with him and I blew it there's something about having a meal with somebody you ever notice Jesus is at least 12 times I've got recorded where Jesus had a meal with people and he would sit down with a meal with this person right that he was having the meal with and in that day anybody could come into the meal and the people who were invited got to sit at the table and they got to eat first and whatever was left over the people could stand around the walls of this house inside the room and when these folks got through eating, these folks could reach over and grab what was left. So some people went just to get a meal. Some people went to be with Jesus. Some people went to hang out. But it was just a custom. Anybody could come to a meal and eat. And so Jesus was always going to somebody's house to eat. People were eating. He was talking. And everybody got to interact with Jesus. Jesus liked to eat. And, I, and the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the Eucharist. It's got several names that we go by. But it was instituted over a meal, right? We call it the Lord's Supper, but on Sunday morning we have the Lord's snack, right? 
the juice and the cracker, right? But in Jesus' day, it was a full meal. And he broke a big old piece of bread off and handed him the bread and they had the wine to drink and it was over, it was over a meal. Maybe they had some lamb chops, you know. I don't know what else they had. Maybe they had some fish, some veggies, some figs maybe. But it was a meal. Jesus was inviting people to come into his home and have a meal with him. And when we take the Lord's Supper, even though it's smaller and easier for us to pass out, and that's why we do that, it's still an invitation from Jesus saying, can, can I come in? Can we have a meal together? Can, can I come in? Can we have a meal together today? Can I come to your house and have a meal? That's what he's asking. Here's the thing. Jesus can have a meal with us and never say a word about our issue that we're dealing with. And the issue gets resolved in his presence. The two guys on the road to Emmaus, right? After Jesus had risen from the grave, he was walking with these two guys who were disciples. He had changed his countenance somehow so they couldn't recognize him. And they walked along and he was kind of egging them on, trying to find out what they knew. And, and they looked at him and said, are you just a stranger? Is this your first time you're coming down? Didn't you, don't you know the story? And he said, well, what story are you talking about? Well, this guy named Jesus, he claimed to be the son of God and he, they crucified him and, and he rose again and we can't find his body and everything. He walked along, that's a pretty cool story. And they said, why don't you come eat with us? It's supper time. Will you, will you come eat with us? And Jesus said, no, nah, I, I need to get on down to the next town. And they, they begged him and said, oh, please come eat with us. Please come eat with us. Social custom. Invite him into his home. Invite him to have a Snickers with him. Jesus said, all right, I'll go, have, I'll, I'll go eat with you. And he went to the house and sat down. Somebody prepared the meal. They were sitting at the table. And the Bible says, and Jesus broke the bread. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their presence. He recognized him. And their lives were changed just by his presence. Just by his presence. He, he didn't preach a sermon. He sat down at the meal. And in his presence, things changed. I'm here to tell you this morning. If you'll just let Jesus in. Just let Jesus in. His presence will change you and your circumstances. His presence will change you. You know, in, in, uh, in our region around us, in the 10-mile radius, 61.6% of the people don't attend church at all, aren't religious at all, according to a survey. Of the 40% who are religious, only half of them attend church on a regular basis or any kind of small group or anything. Right? This passage is not talking about lost people. It's not talking about the 60%. The message is to the church. It's to the 40%. And so here's the thing. We all know somebody who is a Christian who at some point really loved God with all their heart. And now they don't. They're lukewarm. And Jesus is calling them to repent, to change the way they're thinking about him. Not about church, not about religion, not about politics. Change the way they're thinking about him because he's the most important thing. You've, you've left your first love. The first love is Jesus. And he says, would you, would you change your mind? Would, would you change your mind about that? In spite of the circumstances, in spite of everything going on, 
I'm, I'm your first love. Don't be lukewarm. Toward me is what Jesus said. Either be hot or cold. I can deal with that. I can deal with hot. I can deal with cold. I'm having a hard time dealing with this lukewarm attitude you have toward me. Can, can we start over in our relationship? So we all know somebody like that. So I want to encourage us to be proactive like Jesus. Let's find somebody that we know that's just given up. They're still a Christian. They're still, they're still born again. They just lost their first love. They're, they're cold. Let's be proactive. Let's go to them. Let's be patient with them. And encourage them to follow after the ways of Christ again. Let's be persuading. Let's, let's have a little passion in our own life, a little zeal in our own life for the Lord and tell them how much God loves them. Let's, let's persuade people. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. There, Therefore, it's the love of Christ that, that persuades us, that compels us to share the gospel. Let's be persistent. Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you do not faint or give up. Correct. Let's be persistent. And above all, let's be polite. Let's be polite. We don't have to beat people over the head with the Bible. You can see I've hit see my Bible? I've hit a few folks with my Bible. That's why it's all torn up like that. It doesn't work. Let's be Jesus. Because he's knocking on everybody's door every day of their life. This morning he knocked on your door. He knocked on my door at 2 o'clock this morning. I started praying for everybody. Jesus will knock on your door. He likes doing that. And he will come in with you and have fellowship with you and you with him. I love what John says over in John chapter 14. He said, Jesus, John is quoting Jesus. Jesus says, he says, it's not just me that's going to love you, but my father is going to love you also. And we are both going to come in and have fellowship with you. John chapter 14. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just me, Jesus says, but daddy's going to come with me too. So when you see Jesus knocking on the door, his dad's right behind him. And they both want to come in and have fellowship with you. So ask God to put somebody on your heart that you need to go. Help them open the door of their life back to Jesus. And for your own self, when he opens it, when he knocks on your door, open it to him. And so this morning, He's opening the door. He's knocking on the door and saying, can we have fellowship together? Can we share a meal together? So when you take the elements this morning of the Lord's Supper, think about that, that Jesus is inviting you to a meal because he wants to bless you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you that it's your testimony that we're reading right here, right now, this moment. I thank you, Jesus, that you are so persistent in our life. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray this morning as we are gathered that you would come knock on the door of this church and that we would all collectively invite you into a meal that we share together. So, Father, as the, the head of this household, I open the door. I open the door and say, come in, Jesus. Come in, Father. 
Come in, Holy Spirit, and have your way with us this morning. Reveal yourself to us through the Lord's Supper. Reveal yourself to us through the elements of the Lord's Supper in a way that maybe we've never seen before. We repent and we open the door, change our way of thinking toward you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.